Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today I am joined by Andrew Fuqua, and he has taken time out of his day to talk about dependencies. So uh, Andrew is an enterprise transformation consultant at Leading Agile. And there was a conversation that happened internally on one of our Slack boards about dependencies. So I thought it might be great to try to talk through some of that because I know a lot of the folks that are out there practicing this stuff, and I, and I get a lot of folks in class who really struggle with the idea of dependencies, one, how to see them, and two, how to break them down. So, Andrew, thank you for taking time out of your day. Oh, you're welcome. This is exciting. So before we get to the topic, do you want to, can you give a little bit of background on like what you do and where you come from so folks have some sense of who you are? Sure. Yeah, I have um, have um, undergraduate and graduate degrees in computer science and uh, have spent most, most of my career um, programming or at least very close to technical. I've been in management and product line management and I've been a product owner and um, I've really been uh, iterative and incremental all my career um, and then uh, a big proponent of extreme programming and pair programming um, Things like that. Cool. All right. So, can you can you I guess preface this by explaining how the topic came up in Slack? Hmm. I you know we we're always talking about uh, internally about uh, what it is we believe. Make sure we're all in alignment. Have the uh, um, similar messaging where it's important. Uh, and there's a few things that are just non-negotiable for leading agile. And so the, the, the topic of, uh, uh, dependencies kind of came up along the way and I wanted to test, um, or, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm always, um, learning or, or, or I don't assume that there's something I don't know. So the topic came up and I said, Hey, well, why don't you, you know, I asked, uh, on the board for folks to to explain it to me or tell me about it um, uh, for fear that or for concern that there might be something or opportunistic that there might be something I could learn. Um, and uh, Mike Kotmar turned it around on me and said, well, why don't you answer the question? So <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, so, so for the folks who are who are listening, one of the cool things about um, leading agile is because there's so many different folks who are so deeply involved in what we do. I mean, we have this online area in Slack where we can kind of challenge each other and throw questions at one another. And the idea is to really sharpen our approach and make yeah. sure that we're all on the same page. And one of the things about the whole base camp model and the idea of taking this step-by-step approach to achieving whatever state of agility, you know, is best for your business is there's a critical component here. And and I would love to say it's removing dependencies, but the way that we typically phrase it is managing dependencies across the value stream. Well, Um, until we can break them. Until we can break them. So first, can you explain the distinction between just breaking them and managing them across the value stream? Yeah, absolutely. So, of, of course, it, life would be better for everyone if we didn't have to deal with dependencies, right? If they didn't surprise us and, and wreck our plans. Um, but that's that's not always the case. And so you can work to um, reduce dependencies or break them. You can organize uh, so that teams can operate more independently. You can change your process so that uh, you can avoid dependencies. You can reduce bureaucracy. There's uh, all kinds of things that you can do to reduce or eliminate dependencies, but that's hard 
and you can't always do it, and, and you can't always do it immediately. It, it, it can take some time uh, to to change the business to reduce dependence, you know, technical dependencies as well as non-technical dependencies. So in the meantime, uh, and and you've got to manage them, um, and you've got to decide how much effort you're going to put into managing the dependencies, and and the effort that you put into it into discovering and managing these dependencies needs to be commiserate, appropriate, whatever the word is. Commensurate, right? Yes, thank you very much for for the level of predictability you need and the level of surprises that your organization is okay handling. So So this is one of the things that that to me is, is a big distinction because I find that when people talk about Agile, a lot of the times it's like those are the folks who have they figured it out or they figured out what they want it to be. And the folks who are still kind of with their heads stuck halfway in the waterfall are like, wait, you want what? And I think even even generating awareness of those dependencies is a big struggle a lot of the time. I mean, helping them, like it's easy for you to see them, but for somebody who is in that environment, I mean, how do you help them discover what they are? Well, that's that's the the hard part and and again it it requires some amount of balance so you know there's there's things that you can do you can do capability mapping a value stream mapping and look at the architecture and interview stakeholders and look at visual specifications and um, think about the teams and think about the the demand patterns and and how work comes into the organization and take all that into consideration to make a I would say in, in my case and in, in, in the way I approach an organization, make a first pass at how an organization ought to be organized to, mini- to uh, minimize some of our, the dependencies. But I don't have perfect knowledge. I don't, we can't get perfect knowledge. And, and just like a lot of things in Agile, we, we say the best architectures e- emerge. Um, you can't design it perfectly up front. Uh, we need to spend some amount of time on it. We need to understand the things that are hard to change later. Um, so just to try to tie this back to something that I think folks, at least the folks who attend my CSM and CS, CSPO classes might connect it with. A lot of times in class when we talk about user stories, we talk about independence. And the idea there is that you want to have a story be completely on its own so we can take it in any order. And you don't want to have the thing where we've got you know, the development scrum team feeding the QA scrum team, because that's not actually scrum. It's still waterfall just using the wrong language. You just talked about the structure of the organization and how that may be something that has to be adjusted to help eliminate the kind of dependencies that we're talking about, the ones that reach across the organization. Those are, are those two separate things in your mind as well, or is that just that I'm kind of seeing it differently? Well, the structure of the organization certainly does. Um, I, I guess I take it from the the beginning. The the um, first non negotiable is that we need to have quote unquote proper proper agile teams, cross functional teams, a small number of people that 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 has uh, responsibility for not just the development function but the design function and the test function as as well. So, um, so yeah, and, and I guess you just pointed out something that didn't even come up in our Slack channel discussion is, is that it presupposes the, the proper cross-functional agile team 
um, function. If you don't have that, you have yet more dependencies. So, so you're are you you're not saying? I just want to make sure that everybody hears this. You're not saying that you can't do agile if you don't have cross-functional teams. But that is a step that you'd want to get past first before you start actually targeting removing all the dependencies is something you can achieve. Like you're going to have to have that in place first. I, well, it kind of depends on how cross-functional you mean. I mean, I, I wouldn't try to put the .NET guys and the SAP guys and the back end the Salesforce guys and the data warehouse guys and the micro strategy guys, I wouldn't try to go that extreme with in the COBOL guys all in one cross-functional team. That's uh, a bit ex- excessive and un- unmanageable, but there's a, um, uh, a good form of a cross-functional team um, that we're looking for. And if, if you don't have your um, somebody or wearing the test hat and uh, playing the developer role and, and perhaps a couple of different kinds of technical roles, um, you're more likely to fall into waterfall and less, and you're going to have more dependencies and less likely to be as agile as you want to be. So that's, I think, a really important thing, too, what you just sit on, is that when we say, and maybe it's because a lot of people, when they hear this stuff, initially at least, they think of it in very extreme measures. You say cross-functional team, like you just said, you're not saying that we've got to have the guy that drives the van and the baker and the guy that mows the lawn and the principal yep. of the school all in one team figuring out how to do brain surgery together. Right. We want to make responsible choices. But what we're trying to get to is a group of people that collectively can take a card on the wall, a post-it, and turn it into shippable product within a given time period. That's right. Okay, and that's fully tested and fully realized, something that we're, we're done done with. Right, and and so to maybe we've already talked about this, but to take it one step further is that when you're looking at the organization to decide what the teams were would be, the easiest part of that decision is to say, well, we need probably uh, – uh, somebody who can do technical leadership or, or design so, and do the, the technical work and somebody to do um, to help with analysis and somebody to help with testing um, if the if the developers can't do 100% test automation. Um, that's that we know what a good agile team would look like. The harder part is then looking at the organization to say, well, what are the demand patterns? How do I cleave off teams of this organization that can operate independently? Okay. So how do how do you help them do that? How do you help them figure out what they're what's actually reasonable to achieve? Uh, there's, I don't think there's any magic there. I, I've uh, mentioned that uh, you know you, you'll take a look at capability mapping, the value stream, okay. and visual. You know, you'll take a look at the architecture. You'll talk to people, and then you'll make a An first pass. Guess. Okay. You'll try it out. You'll you'll help them learn uh, the the process and and and. Uh, uh, get more predictable or more agile depending on on where they are or, or where they want to be on that spectrum uh, you'll take another look at the organization and and tune it based on on what you've learned so this is important as well for if anybody in who's in the role of being able to make decisions about the organization 
In the same way that we're talking about delivering work in an iterative manner, where we're coming around again, building what oh, yeah. we already know, the same thing is going to happen with changing your organization. It's not just we're going to switch the gears and redo the teams and we're done, but that's something we're going to have to evolve into a clear, you know, high-functioning understanding of, right? Mm, that's right. And, and Mike Kottmeyer made an interesting blog post on Leading Agile a while back about refactoring your organization and how he thinks of it uh, exactly like we think of refactoring some source code. Okay. So that change, and, and that that's a big part of the fact that people are going, if you're working this way, going to have to become comfortable with change being an ongoing thing. We're not done. In the same way that you're never done transforming your organization, you're never done tuning it and changing it to getting it to be as high functioning as you can yes and at the end also uh the organization and the process you turn tune the process as you go and and as you move if the organization is trying to move from uh, a high need for predictability more towards um more and more adaptability the process needs to change the organization needs to change um yet at the same time we we also um strongly believe in the need for stable teams, teams that stick together, that you're not turning around every three months and and adding or removing somebody off of the team. Uh, the well, that seems need- a little bit at odds with the idea of constantly changing, right? Well, yeah, but it's a balance, right? Okay. You, you can't. It, a team can't uh, bond and, and understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and get onto the performing stage if um, every month the membership changes. Okay. Um, but, you know, it. As over- stable as you can. Right. There's. Right. But the organization changing and the organization moving from needing predictability towards um, wanting a little more adaptability is is something that doesn't change every two or three months. That That's a, a more gradual change, okay. uh, I believe, at, at, at a, for a large organization. So um, the rates of change are such that you can have stable teams within like a six-month period as you – make changes to the organization in a four month to to four year kind of time frame. Okay. So if I'm building a checklist of things that I have to try to be able to sort out so I can remove these dependencies across the value stream, one of them is I want to have cross-functional teams. The other is I want to have stable teams. We already know that they we need them to be able to make and meet commitments, which is part of keeping them together anyway. Um, what are the other pieces that I would want to have in place if I was building sort of a go-no-go checklist for being able to get rid of these dependencies? I don't know that there's a, a set checklist, but you've got to – you certainly need to identify not – just the the technical dependencies in other words in order to build this feature i need to have some other team enhance some service or 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 add some new data element to some interface or, or what have you but there's there's it infrastructure dependencies there's you know servers and networking there's security and compliance um and we need to understand the lead time for those and and manage those things um so I I don't know that there's a, a checklist per se. So, but basically what you're describing is we're going to try to do some kind of value stream analysis 
as to how the work is passing through the system to figure out where the delays are, where we have these dependencies? That is an approach. I, I okay. Think, I think some things people people know. I, I think some things won't come out in value stream mapping. Some things um, you would would come out through conversations with people. You may stumble across some things. You might discover stuff by looking at the architecture. The the the, the thing here is that um, based on what you just said, we need to have multiple ways of trying to suss out where these dependencies are. So we've got a couple of things that we want. Yeah. One, there's probably no checklist. Two, you do want to have stable teams. You want to have that cross-functionality because those are things that are going to enable to you to remove the dependencies. But in the process of identifying them, there is no one way of saying, here they are. We're going to have to come at this and try to look at it from multiple angles using multiple tools and it's going to be an ongoing thing, identifying and removing these. Right. Okay. That's right. An, an iterative process. And But in the meantime, we have to manage in the environment that we're in. Okay. And so um, when it comes to, for example, maybe planning a, um, a three-month-sized release, planning ahead, um, and uh, identifying the dependencies and and planning around them so that you can make appropriate commitments. Um, during that period of time, when you're living with dependencies and managing them, you've got to balance the cost of upfront analysis, trying to find all the dependencies against the cost of, of surprises. It, it may It's possible that an occasional surprise will be less expensive than doing all the analysis to, tr- to try to identify and prevent all of the dependencies in advance. You may be able to um, have a, a dependency surprise you in the middle of a release, and, and you may be able to deal with it. If, if you find that those are happening too frequently and are too painful, then you need to increase the amount of effort you spend on, A, identifying them before you make your commitments, and and B, um, finding ways to reduce dependencies in the organization. But if if you don't have a problem with the dependencies wrecking your plan, if they're not expensive, then then maybe you're already spending too much time trying to identify them, and, and you should move on to greater agility. Okay, so I want to just say this out loud and see if you want to echo it with me. If you if you work in an organization and you have these dependencies, I mean, we're always going to come in and tell you you need to get rid of them. But if you have them, it's okay. <laughs> we understand. Yeah. They're not easy to get rid of. They're not even easy to find all the time. And if you have them, what you're advocating is to come up with a way of understanding when is it when is it okay? When does it make more business sense to leave them in place for right now? When are they painful enough that we want to eliminate them? In the same way that there's waste that it's just not always worth getting rid of 100% of the waste. There's some of it we have to have. Like we have to have some body fat or we're going to be cold all the time. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. Maybe you don't, but I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we like to say, uh, manage the heck out of dependencies until you can break them, but that, but really, we we mean manage the heck out of the ones that matter, um, and don't spend inordinate amount of time trying to find stuff 
if um, it's working, if you're it, it, right, if you be as predictable as you need to be, um, and just evaluate the the amount of surprises and and uh, disruptions to the plan, and decide whether that's uh, an appropriate level or not. I think that's important for organizations and individuals to understand as well. Is that you know I get a lot of folks who who ask you know what's the right way to do this, and I'm like I don't know what the right way is. I only know how to do it for the way that makes sense for me. Whatever I am doing right now, any organization's going to have to decide when it's good enough and when they're getting what they need, because we're not coming around with like gold stars for being super agile. It's about value for your customer and what makes sense for you from a business perspective. And agile is just a way of getting there. Yeah. And it's just like saying what we like to say, there's no best practices. There's good practices given a, a particular context. And you know, if you're one person's context is different than another and would, would necessitate the need for different practices or, or, practices tuned differently okay all right so so let's say that in in the organization they're starting to get a sense of these dependencies and when we talk about managing them um we want uh, we're trying to have a better understanding of them better understanding of their impact and finding ways to help the organization cope with the impact of those dependencies right Yes. So maybe planning a little extra time if you know you're going to be waiting for this other team. Um, so you're leaving some, you're acknowledging that waste in the system, leaving some of it in place until you can figure out this is painful enough that we're going to have to fix this right now. Yeah. So if we're talking about managing dependencies, um, there's like technical dependencies, several techniques you can use. One of them is simply um, if I need a story that, that depends on, a, on another team in my program implementing the story first, I will schedule my story into a sprint after they've uh, uh, whatever sprint they've scheduled their story in. So just just a simple scheduling. Uh, I would never schedule them to be in the same sprint. I would schedule my work to, to follow in a later sprint. Um, but doesn't that, team, before you go on, doesn't that kind of violate the, I mean, isn't that leaning a little bit into the waterfall? <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it is what it is. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a reality. It's a fact of life. And, and, I, and I don't think it's a waterfall as much as it is. There is often a natural order in which you're going to build certain things, certain stories or, or order certain features. Um, and, and I, I don't think that's, uh, a waterfall concept as much as it is uh it's practical it's just pr- very so practical. so as yeah. much as i don't want to have design working a sprint ahead if that is the most sensible way to deal with things if it is the most responsible way to deal with things right now then i need to stop worrying about whether i waterfall or agile and just do what the most responsible most mature mindful thing is for getting work done within my organization Okay, so that opens up the whole uh, discussion about low-level design, high-level design, and and rolling wave planning and progressive elaboration, and 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 how much predictability a company needs. So, if an organization needs to be able to make commitments uh, six months in advance, I would argue that they need to have done some high-level design on on their epics and features and probably even gone so far as to identify 
the user stories that they need for that commitment um, uh, un- until they've proven that they can make commitments on a on a feature level and and still meet their their commitment. Um, so. Uh, I that's that's uh, I was really just talking about like a web page. I was thinking of like like a a, you know like something graphic design something like that where the team can't build it until it's been designed. So right for for low level design, absolutely, I'd I'd prefer low level design to be done in the in the sprint that that it's going to be coded. Um, But if you can't, you can't. But if an organization can't today, then then they need to do what whatever they need to do as we as we work to uh, improve their capabilities. So, so the way you said that I think is important, and this is this to me is a subtle thing, but it's something that I struggle with. Like I want to be able to say it's okay, but I also want to be able to say it's okay, but it's not okay that it's okay. Like, yeah, we'll do it, but you have to fix this. Mm-hmm. Sure, I mean, and that's sort of what you were were hinting at. So we're refactoring in, organizations in flight. And okay, we, they 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 need to continue to deliver business value, and we're and this transformation is a journey, and we're helping them. We're, we help our clients through this journey, uh, starting with wherever they are, um, and. And dealing with the situation as we uh, as it is as we go through the transformation journey. Okay. All right. So we're identifying these things. Now you and I interrupted you because you were yeah. talking about um, doing some of the work ahead of time. Do you have other suggestions about stuff people might do here to manage these dependencies? Well, so um, I was describing that um, the, managing dependencies is anything from. Uh, within a program between two teams, I'll sequence the stories so that um, I'll do my work after the other team does their work and, and their sprint. Uh, taken one step above that, suppose I have a team that's a little bit further removed. Maybe they're in a different program within my portfolio. I'm, I would tend to treat them as, as, as if they were just an external team and I really have no control over what they deliver and their priorities and when they deliver it. And I would really prefer to not make commitments based on stuff that other team has not delivered yet. So if I have a if I depend on them for something, I'm I just I'll I'm just going to in this quarter, in this release plan, I'm going to assume that I'm not going to get what I want and I have to deliver as much value as I can with, without it. Once that other team delivers, then I can make a commitment based on that dependency. So do you find that that, to me, that's one of the easy ones that nobody thinks of until you're like, why would you, why would you commit to something yeah. you have no control over? And then would you tell them like, oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, and then is that is it? Do people struggle with implementing that, or once they get it, is it pretty okay? I think there's a in a lot of organizations, it, there's a lot of um, maybe they, maybe they say it this way: there's not always a lot of empowerment, and there's a lot of okay. fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And oh, these priorities were handed down from on high, and and if a company's coming from a a, a, a situation where Somebody else created the detailed specs 
and they've got to code to the spec, and they got to do everything in the spec, and they're accustomed to doing a heavy project management to deal with dependencies, and and we're starting to starting them on a on a transformation. Then then we're we're changing a, a lot of things are changing somewhat simultaneously. Like yeah. you know, do you really have to implement every detail? Is it is it not good enough sometimes in this release? Which is, by the way, is probably smaller than you've ever done a release ever before. Maybe we don't do every little detail in this release. Maybe we find the minimally marketable feature, and and maybe we'll finish it up next release. Maybe we won't. Um, but people start to to think, oh, well, hmm, well, well what if? Yeah, that's that's kind of true. Maybe maybe I I can be a little more empowered and, and push back or or ask the question. Uh, about what we have to include in this release. So you made me think of something there, which is semantic, but I don't know. It's kind of sticking out of my head. People talk about MVP all the time, and that to me is becoming like the word agile. It's one of the things that I hear different people use in completely different ways, and it gets mutilated in maybe an unhealthy way a lot of the time. But you were just talking about good enough, and I started making me wonder, like, could you define good enough in the same way that we tried to define done. And I guess good enough would be what an MVP is supposed to be. Like this thing, it's it's just barely, barely reasonable to put this out the door. Like somebody will probably use it, but it just is not what we want, but it's enough. Good enough. Yeah. This so what I'm about to say is not uniform across everybody in leading agile, but this is the way I like to think of it. Um and and I, I that I don't think I'm too far afield. I, I think there's some of what I'm about to say people will agree with. But anyway, um, starting at we have epics, we break them down into features, and we break those down into stories. So an epic is, let's say it's a, a two-month epic. I, I, I think of an epic more as a business problem to solve, and and it's not necessarily always binary. There's degrees of solving that business problem, and and so an epic has a a promise to to at least partially solve some business problem, and it's got a budget. and And if we're if you're in an organization that needs some amount of predictability, and you're making commitments on you know quarter sized commitments. Um, then I want to deliver on the promise of the epic, not on every detail in the epic. So I want to make some some progress solving the business problem, but um, constrain the work that I do to to the commitment to the budget. And okay. similar with features, I like to think of features as a sprint goal. It's nice if features kind of fit into sprints, and I can take a feature as, hey, for this sprint, for this two week sprint, let's tackle this feature. More or less, I don't care. I'm I'm not going to commit necessarily to these exact seven user stories if I can meet the goal of the feature in the sprint. Yeah. Okay. So you have a little bit of flexibility there in terms of scope, and yeah. that and that might also help with the dependencies as well, right? Yeah, I mean, so if if we come up with a surprise, the dependency surprises. Oh, we didn't weren't expecting that one. Um, then we can say, how can we still deliver on uh, some, you know, perhaps more minimalist version of the feature, yeah, or or uh, or a different slice of solving the business problem in the epic, um, okay. 
because we've stumbled across this dependency. Okay, so so I know we've got to wrap up in a few minutes, but one of the things that I'd like to to talk about briefly before we we do end it is if you walk into an organization and you see lots of dependencies and and it is kind of gumming up the works, um, what steps would do you normally take, like you know, right out of the gate to help people cope with this and get a better handle on it? So of of course the we you and I. Dave have a, a particular context in mind. It's it's the organization that's got some size to it. Uh, they're they're making commitments and they have a need to be predictable. They're probably doing something like quarterly planning. They've got several teams and and all kinds of dependencies. And if if they found that uh, in the past that um, they've had surprises, they've stumbled across dependencies, works that were unknown, and work is getting blocked, then what can you do other than put a little more effort into uh, trying to identify the dependencies and, and sequencing work? So, well, how do you identify dependencies? Well, you may have someone first tell someone, uh, identify the person who's responsible for it. And it's probably some kind of a, a tech lead or, or architect in the, in the program, um, and have them uh, walk through the backlog and and sequence the backlog. Do quarterly planning, lay lay it out, and um, uh, think through each piece to understand. Well, in order to do this, what what are the preconditions for that? Okay. Take a look at take a look at the visual specifications, the little the diagrams that you make. Um, to to understand where dependencies may be, talk to the the leads on each team and say, look, we're, we're having a problem with dependencies. I need you to walk me through your backlog and let's, let's talk about, let's try to be, um, a little bit more intentional about identifying these things. So is it, is, do you think it's fair to say that, um, I mean, there's, there's, there seems to me to be a refocus within the Agile community on, or desire to refocus on the intention behind the manifesto and the principles. And I mean, that was a common theme at the conference. Mm-hmm. And you got stuff like um, what Josh Karyatsky was talking yes. about, things like that. Modern um, Agile. Yeah. yeah. So with what you just described, and maybe it's my background, but I'm seeing lots of places where the stuff that I learned on the waterfall side can be brought to bear it may be in, a, in, an, in an assisting way, in a way of looking at certain things. As long as I'm looking at through the filter of an agile mindset, but all that stuff that you know, I think it's easy to say we're just going to shun everything we learned <laughs> it's working in the traditional way. There's stuff there that's valuable yeah. that can inform our understanding of what we're looking at now. Right. the The big problem with waterfall was not so much the stuff that you mentioned, not so much upfront planning as much as it was late feedback. So a a lot of the stuff that's um, absolutely important with the agile mindset is um, quicker experience, faster feedback, smaller releases, limiting work and process. And um, yet, if there's a need to, if you've got some kind of uh, dependency, an external dependency, you you still need to understand the the lead time and and manage it. And how are you going to do that other than you know get your pinbox out and and and? Well, I don't want to encourage that. <laughs> and manage. Put the pinbox away. But, 
<laughs> okay, but it's 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 traditional project management and program management. There's yeah. there's dependencies in the organization um, outside of I mean even outside of the of the of the technologies. Um, there's business dependencies. There's um, um, real world stuff that we have to real cope world with. stuff yeah. security and compliance that that we have to worry about and and third parties uh, and contracts and yeah. so. You have a have a capable project manager or program manager in your organization and just manage that stuff. Yeah, I think I think for me it would be great if we could get to a point where we can acknowledge that both things are out there and they don't have to be at odds. Um, if we can develop strategies, you know, for coping with the fact that sometimes that stuff's going to be in play. Um, but I think that there is, like, I find there are some traditional tools that I still find valuable. I just don't use them the same way. Like you said, the whole issue was with the late feedback, and I think that's part of it. But I think a big part of it is that there's some decent tools that got compromised by people using them with a desire to control change mm-hmm. instead of accepting that change is a, a necessary evolution in building anything. If we're, I agree. If we're learning. Yeah, I agree with you. So um, thank you for having the conversation with me. Hopefully for the folks listening, it went somewhere sensible. Um, Do you have any kind of final suggestions, any parting words of advice, anything we didn't cover that you would like people to walk away from this conversation being aware of with respect to managing and hopefully eventually removing dependencies? I think we talked through the the topic pretty well, though I don't, I don't remember whether we talked about prior, prioritization. So if if you've got uh, a good prioritization of epics, then the uh, teams in the organization are are better able to sequence their dependencies or, or sequence their work with respect to the dependencies. If you have no prioritization uh, amongst the staff, then well, well, who wins? Then you have lots of teams. Uh, fighting against each other and and a, and a lot more um, uh, late surprises of of unmet dependencies. Um, so a good prioritization can help immensely. And you're not talking about, I mean, from a, a traditional mindset, you you would prioritize based on dependencies, um, but you're talking about having a prioritization method that the organization uses to understand what's most important to do first. And then coping with the sequencing of yes. work beneath that to deal with dependencies. Yes, absolutely. So to take that one step further, I usually recommend prioritizing epics based on a weighted shortest job first approach or okay. cost of delay divided by duration. So, so mainly you you try to uh, evaluate these things in in terms of uh, business value and the and the cost of delay. Um, but then you have to respect within that you have to sequence the work to make um, make the best of dependencies and get the most value possible. Okay, cool. Thank you. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, now, there's an event that we want to mention coming up. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? The Unconference. Sure. It's the Lean Plus Agile Atlanta Unconference. It's uh, November fourth. It's in. Uh, uh, in Atlanta, somewhere around Midtown, I think. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a great unconference. So what is an unconference for folks that aren't familiar with it? Yeah, so a normal conference is where you have organizers who select speakers and they have 
pre-selected talks and everybody else is a participant. An unconference, you go and you build the agenda. You decide what uh, topics of conversation are going to be there at the first day of the conference. So um, whoever shows up will say, here's what I want to talk about. And okay. Like a giant open space kind of. It yeah, it's uh, people will will gather in uh, in in areas and of of, of uh, to discuss the topics that are interest to them. Okay, cool, and that's going to be on November fourth, and they can go to leanagileatlanta.com if they want to find out more. That's correct. And what about if folks want to track you down to talk a little bit more about dependencies or you know any of the other work that you're doing? Sure, I uh, you could reach me by email. I'm Andrew at leadingagile.com. I'm fairly easy to find on uh, Twitter and Facebook as well okay. and uh, LinkedIn. All right. And I'll include links to all those. Dude, thank you very much. And I really thank appreciate you, it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, that was fun. Cool. Thanks.